I see my name in shiny lights. Yeah, a different city every night. Oh, I, I swear the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I am your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you could always download podcasts from Get down to business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomkline. It's going to be a jam-packed week. In fact, the first show of a brand new year. Uh, We've got a lot of content information you will not want to miss. So let's kick it off. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by serial entrepreneur, Colton Seal, uh, who uh, joins us here on the program. Colton, welcome to Get Down to Business. Hey, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. It's super exciting to have you. So, Colton, you um, you are an entrepreneur, and we are going to talk about your entrepreneurial endeavors, but I like to get to know the person behind the microphone. So, uh, if you don't mind, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I... Uh... Awesome. Well, Colton, we're going to talk more about our route fusion, which uh, sounds like it has been a incredible journey in the fintech world. So we'll talk some more about that. But what I found really fascinating, we were just talking uh, before coming on the air, um, is that you play semi-professional volleyball as a way to blow <laughs> off steam, but it actually has been part of, call it a team building uh, exercise as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, my co-founder and I are just both really competitive people. Um, Played uh, played college sports and 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 whatnot. Uh, 
and we we found when when we became uh, what 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 we called uh, no paycheck people uh, or unemployed, we needed a sport to play that wasn't golf. Uh, that was what we called a poor man's sport, and uh, sand volleyball was that. And we started out playing, and we weren't very good, and that really upset us. So we hired a coach uh, that was a local pro. And we dedicated a lot of time uh, in the mornings or like in the evenings to, to training and getting better. And it was, uh, it, it really was, it was a great way to blow off steam and just build those competitive juices. Uh, and it kind of blossomed to where, you know, we were playing against some of the top players in the country, um, you know, self-proclaimed uh, semi-professional, but it was, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a ton of fun. Uh, and we've, we've made a lot of really great uh, friends and, context and that's a super important in business for both for you and your co-founder so you and your co-founder of route fusion um which as we said fintech and you focus on international bank to bank payments api so let's talk about how you got into that and what problem you are seeking to solve yeah so uh you know, um, this will be a bit of a, a futuristic viewpoint of, of the world. Um, but if you guys are familiar with uh, this trend of, of neobanks, that's a, a technology company that is creating a new age bank that would compete against people like Chase or Bank of America or something along those lines. It's all digital. It's all through your phone. Um, we originally started out building one of those. Um, and our customer base had continually asked us for cross-border international payments. Um, and so when we sought out to, to uh, add that to the application, um, we realized it was a really age-old industry with um, bank-like providers that were, you know, had been in business for 30 plus years. And I think the, the joke is they still had fax machines in the office. Um, Maybe not all of them, but but a good portion of them did. And uh, we saw it as a as an opportunity um, to innovate in a space that seems like it hadn't been innovated in in quite some time. Um, and and we were seeing this trend of companies wanting to embed cross border payments into their application. And, and, and what I mean by that is we were seeing. Um, invoicing companies or uh, payroll companies uh, or um, uh, shipping and logistics companies um, wanting to let their customers send international payments through their web application. So logging into QuickBooks and, and paying uh, an invoice for goods uh, that you're buying from China and, and, and doing that through their web interface rather than going into the bank um, and, and, and doing it at the bank. And so uh, we saw it as this really interesting opportunity and, and we kind of just dove head first in because mm -hmm. there's no one solving that problem. And, and in the process, and again, I'm chatting with Colton Seal, the, uh, the founder of Route Fusion, um, who is uh, on the side, a competitive volleyball player. Um, but um, Colton, you are in a really complex, um, both uh technological space um, regarding the API, but also in regards to compliance and regulation. Yeah. So how did you, uh, how did you guys get up to, up to speed on, on all of that in a whole new world? Yeah, I, I'll, you're the first person to, to know this and I feel like it's okay to say it now, but 
we had to figure out every single way we could to network in every possible scenario in the banking and compliance world. Um, remember, we're two software engineers. We play volleyball during the during the mornings or during the week. You know, shirts off. We have no idea uh, how this how this industry truly works. Um, and so we got fortunate. There was a banking conference that came to town um, that we couldn't afford to go to. Uh, banking and compliance and payments. Uh, and so I told my I told my co-founder, I was like, look, we have to get into this. I don't know how we're going to do it, uh, but there's going to be a lot of uh, great contacts here. and We're going to learn a lot. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know, you know, the ethical side of it, but we basically walked in. I saw a guy's name tag and I said, OK, that's his name. I walked up and said I lost my uh, my pass. <laughs> they, they printed me a pass and then I went to the conference and I met with every bank and payments company. And I asked them, I had a journal of questions that I was like, how do these things work? And I just asked so many people, uh, all these crazy questions. Um, and we walked out of it and I was like, holy cow, how did we just pull this off? Oh my uh, goodness. So what does 2021 look like um, for, uh, for OutFusion? Man, it is, uh, it's exciting. We're, um, we're releasing a lot of, uh, what we would call self-serve features. So um, making it easier for companies to copy and paste code into their website and offer cross-border payments to their customer base. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, the world is very global uh, and, and COVID-19 has kind of shredded any normalcy that, that, that we're uh, accustomed to. And the one thing that, uh, we're continuing to hear nonstop from all corners of, of the world is we need to offer cross-border payments to our customers. Everybody wants to send payments all over the world. Uh, and so we're, we're releasing um, some, some very innovative and, and futuristic software. to, to Truly in true innovation here on get down to business. Um, thank you for sharing that. And, and I'm, 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 just going to laugh all day about that story. Uh, totally amazing. Um, chatting with Colton Seal. Colton, um, founder of Route Fusion. How can people learn more about all of your innovation and your entrepreneurial story? Yeah. Uh, you know, feel free to, to find me on Twitter. I'm at Colton Seal uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I, I love to give back to the community and, and help people in any way that I possibly can. So well, I appreciate you sharing your story with all of our listeners, the first uh, first show of 2021. So thank you very, very much for joining us on the air. We look forward to following your story over the uh, over the coming months and years. So best of luck to you. You are listening to the Shots Business Jobs and Entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be back in just a quick moment. Get to my website, shalomplein.com, to download podcasts from the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Be sure to click subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am super excited to bring in Tyler Sully Sullivan, founder of BombTech Golf, um, an e-commerce expert, I should add. And uh, Sully, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So you are an entrepreneur um, right now running uh, multiple businesses um, that actually uh, are growing. And that is, uh, that is huge as uh, this is the first uh, show of 2021. So let's start with your background. Where are you from and where did you get the entrepreneurial bug? Yeah, accidental entrepreneur. Had no intentions of, of doing this. I was uh, attempting to be uh, 
the world's best long driver, which is like the home run derby of golf and just ended up breaking a number of golf clubs, just started assembling my own, made the world's worst website, accidentally sold a club off of there and just was, was hooked. You know, that was kind of the moment where I said, I need to do more of that. I, I love it. My friend, you're going to have to teach me uh, a thing or two about golf because I probably would break those golf clubs because I, I think that I get golf clubs and baseball bats confused occasionally, but that's a separate <laughs> story. Um, so Sully, you are the founder of Bomb Tech Golf, an e-commerce store with over $20 million sold online since 2012. And you also run e-com growers where you, where you and your team have helped countless Shopify customers add six to seven figures in additional sales to their e-commerce stores. So so obviously the question where I want to start over here is how do you grow? How do you start an e-commerce brand? I mean, my, my story of starting is really, you know, one of passion. Like it, it was 2012. So this was pre like Shopify being easy to set up. So today the barrier to entry is much lower, but I mean, I went a very difficult route. I mean, I ended up designing a golf driver with my local college, the University of Vermont. And we worked with, you know, a group of students and faculty for a year to design our own brand. I mean, I cashed in my 401k. I don't recommend anyone doing what I did. <laughs> um, and really, you know, I did it totally out of passion, had success just documenting my journey on Facebook and Instagram early days, you know, when Facebook was new and really just used that platform to engage with my customers and literally, you know, was able to scale it once Facebook ads came out because I was pre Facebook ads. And, you know, I went real quickly, you know, uh, from a side hustle to a full time gig. And now I make more money than I ever could, but it was never the intention, you know, and I had some life events and epiphanies that happened. Like I was fired from my day job when my wife was pregnant the week before Thanksgiving. And that uh, motivated me just a little bit to turn a side hustle into, you know, a, a high seven, almost eight figure brand because I had to, you know. It's uh, an inspiring story. So there's a couple of pieces that I want to uh, to pick apart at what you just mentioned. Uh, advertising. Right now, advertising is the thing. And in fact, uh, before the end of the show, I'm going to talk about a transition into how uh, 2020 is, I think, going to evolve, how 2021 will work. But how did you uh, profit make advertising profitable? Yeah. So it, like I look at it now and it seems very simple and clear, but back then there was, we tried so many things. So really I break it down into, you know, paid traffic and then, which is the front end and then email and SMS, which is your back end, which is where you have most of your profit. So, so for us, we, we tend to run like a five X return ad spend. That's our goal. Um, and we work with about 35 clients that are doing, you know, seven, eight, almost nine figures. And we help them with their email and SMS or their back end. And really, it sounds weird, but you have to have a strong email program and SMS program to make the front end profitable. So really, that's what we found out was that if we got our, our revenue percent from email to a certain, a certain threshold, we knew predictably we'd have a high enough lifetime value and we could run ads and scale to a point where we want and we still have room to push. Uh, but you really, you got to, and everyone just kind of glazes over the back end email and really your only asset that you truly own, which is your list. Um, and I'm not sure why that is, but so that's why we do that 
specifically and only for econ brands as we manage their Clavio and what we believe is their most valuable asset is what happens if, you know, Facebook ads go to hell tomorrow and you have, uh, <laughs> and you can't make your list uh, profitable and you've got a ton of inventory. So we really look at that and manage that as the true way to make your front end profitable. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, pretty wild what you have done um, through advertising. So one thing that you briefly mentioned, but I've read a little bit about you is um, working four hours a week, but making seven figures. Is that even possible? Yeah. So, I mean, this, let me uh, preface this, that that was not always the way I, I used to work 20 hours a day, seven days a week. And I did that for four years. And again, these are like, I've had these life moments. And for me, it was always, it was always kid related. Like, so when I had my first kid, I was literally working 20 hours a day, assembling clubs myself, shipping clubs myself, doing all the wrong stuff, right? And sales were the lowest they ever been. And I was doing all the things you're not supposed to do because I felt busy. And then when I had my second child, I said, this is nuts. Like, I can't live like this anymore. And I took and I hired a bunch of people. I set up systems and I took six weeks off. What, what do you think happened to sales in those six weeks? <laughs> Probably everything happened at that point, right? <laughs> well, they, sales went up. And yeah, it made yeah, me yeah. yeah. I, that, that was just a wild guess. <laughs> yeah. So it, it made me realize that, okay, I can set up systems and hire people and get out of my own way. And it's, it got to a point with BombTech that I truly worked four to six hours a week on it. And it's almost frustrating now because I'm like, I, I want to jump in and do more, but I have my experts in my certain areas. Got my email agency that does my email. I got my ad guy who does ads. I got my video guy does video. Customer service guys do that. Fulfillment does shipping. And really, I just coordinate those guys. And it's, it's really only have two guys in house. And it, it took me two kids you know, multiple life changes and years to, to do it. I, if you told me day one, hey, you can do this four hours a week, I wouldn't believe you because I wanted to work all day, every day, and it was my passion. So so that allowed me to set up another company with my first employee at BombTech. Again, another accidental, unexpected business, but that business we're, we're deeper in the weeds with. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where life events had forced me and and it, for the for the better to live life and uh, let the business run without me, which it will run better. Wow, I'm chatting with Tyler Sully Sullivan, the founder of Bomb Tech Golf, um, e-commerce success story since 2012, and. Um, Sully, it's interesting. Uh, something I'm picking up also from what you're saying is um, you're a master of delegation. I've heard two different mindsets in business of uh, a lot of entrepreneurs that want to control everything in-house. And that's not to exclude delegation, but having um, employees that are subject matter experts. Um, and then the other um, approach is having a lot of consultants. Which is your style? I'm definitely an outsource guy. I mean, I, I like big picture, I'll take anyone who's truly the best. Like, I don't care if they're in-house, out-of-house, but I found that the agency model, number one, it's probably the hardest thing to do is to find and vet a true expert. That's like what I would spend most of my time doing. And I have a method for that. But really, like my team is all outsourced because I believe, like specifically on the paid ad or email side, like those are my two revenue driving agencies I use. You know, they have their hands in 30 clients or more. So they see things across different, you know, different uh, e-com, uh, what do you call it, verticals and different things that they can bring into my account. Whereas if I had someone in-house, 
you know, they just wouldn't have that type of, uh, what's the word, view and in, into the market. So there's definitely, for me, that's been the least hands-on and the highest impact. So for me, I'm a big consultant, expert guy, and just finding them is probably the hardest part. All right, good. And in uh, 30 seconds or less, what are your uh, big plans for 2021? Uh, ski more, golf more, uh, drink more beer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Great synopsis. Again, have been chatting with the founder of Bomb Tech Golf, as well as uh, Ecom Growers, um, Tyler Sully Sullivan. Thank you so much for sharing your story and advice with our listeners. I know you have been hyper-focused on the customer experience, something we'll talk some more about throughout the program. Um, Sully, if folks want to learn more about your businesses and about your story, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I've been super active on LinkedIn, having some fun conversations there. If you're a golfer, bombtechgolf.com, or if you're an e-commerce brand doing seven figures or more, we'd love to do an audit for you at ecomgrowers.com, and uh, hopefully I can help out. Well, appreciate you joining us. You already have. Um, so best of luck to you in 2021. And again, thanks for joining us on Get Down to Business. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for the time. Absolutely. And a shout out for all of your transportation needs. Be sure to check out chicagosignaturelimo.com, a friend of Get Down to Business, as well as for all of your health insurance needs. Check out healthplanschicago.com for, again, uh, quotes on the Affordable Care Act and any of your insurance needs for your business or personally. We're going to squeeze in some headlines as well as a quick, uh, quick break. And we'll be back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship on Get Down to Business in just a moment. Hello again and welcome back to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, the first episode of 2021, which will be an amazing year. I'm sure of it. And I'm sure of it because we have some fantastic um, insight into uh, into finance, some fantastic insight into uh, into what the year uh, should be for business owners, individuals, and parents. I know uh, we've got a lot of those out there. So I'm thrilled to be joined on the program by an expert, Jonathan Dio. Uh, Jonathan uh, has appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and is a contributor for Business Insider and Huffington Post, and is the author of the best-selling book, Mindful Money. Jonathan Dio, welcome to Get Down to Business. Thanks, Shalom. Glad to be here. It's great to have you. So let's start with you to uh, let our listeners know who they are hearing from. Uh, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, after after telling the story a few times, you sort of find new angles to talk about it. And it's really not about me. And that's the reality of it. It's, you know, I was raised with very little. So I developed a deep interest in money and finance and trying to invest and trying to get ahead and trying to build wealth. Um, five years in the industry, uh, financial services industry, I learned a lot of lessons and ultimately what I figured out and for the next 20 years, what I've been practicing the last 20 years is the right way to do it is deeply countercultural. Like we are battling every day against the fatigue of advertising, the, the constant flow of what we should be doing, what our parents tell us, what our peers tell us, what we see on social media. And it is a, it's an enormous battle. And the the, the countercultural aspect is it is so simple to think about. You remember your board games as a kid. There's there's flow in, there's flow out. It's very simple. What do you do with the excess? And if you figure out those couple things, have a vision for your life and just 
go forward. Don't worry about so much the outcomes. Worry about the process. Put in the work. Do the stuff you have to do. You can get to that outcome. I know. I know you speak to small business owners. They struggle with this every single day. It's just. It's such such an important countercultural story. How we how we get to wealth through business, through just living lives with goals and hopes and dreams. What what are those steps? It's really not as complex as as we're made to believe it is by the storytellers on Wall Street. I agree with you completely. And Jonathan, you were born and raised in um, Rapid City, South Dakota, but uh, now uh, live in uh, in Berkeley uh, Hills, uh, California, and uh, two wonderful kids, um, as well as a pretty wonderful cat, as I understand. And of course, your wonderful wife, Kate. Um, and Mindful Money is really that brand. Um, and Mindful Money, we've just started that conversation. Um, so you have done a lot of analysis of uh, 2020 and the most recent presidential election. So let's start there because I know that's on all of our listeners' minds. Um, what does that election, which was probably the most contentious in our history, what does that mean for our financial plans and portfolios? So bef- before we go into what this particular election means for our portfolios, I want to I just, just put a little question in there around this is the most contentious one in our history. The one before this was the most contentious one in our, in our history up to that point. And the one before that was the most contentious one in our history up to that point. So what, what we see here is we see a couple things going on. And this is my uh, my graduate work was in Tibetan phenomenology. Now, I'm not we're not going to get into defining what that means. But basically what it is, it's it's how we experience the world. And and we have you know five senses in our brain. And that's pretty much that's the full palette of our experience. Right. And so when everything that's being pushed to us tells us that it's really contentious, it's really bad, it's really, if it goes one way, it's the end of the world. If it goes the other way, it's the, it's the savior of the world. Um, then we start, to, we start to kind of mold our beliefs around that belief. And that's just not the case. Like I don't subscribe to the concept that this one event is so dire and drastic that it will either make or break the world. Yes, changes will come out of it, but we will adjust to those changes. We will figure out a path and we'll take better steps forward. This is what we do all the time, whether it's pandemic, election, great recession, great depression, presidential assassination, whether it's dot-com boom or dot-com bust, whether it's oil boom or oil bust, whether it's Bitcoin up or Bitcoin down, we always adjust and we figure out a way around. And that's what, you know, the pricing mechanism, it's just all of us trying to figure out you know what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And and that's going to continue. Hap- that's going to continue happening. That conversation is never going to end. And as long as that conversation continues, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to progress. We're going to take. You know what's the what's the saying? Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. We're going to keep doing that. That's that's always the way it's going to be. A hundred percent. And um, so you don't seem concerned that it was the most contentious. I mean, it's concerning in the big picture, but um, you're saying that our markets and our uh, our entire culture and environment is sort of, uh, has been trained and poised um, with that in mind. So we almost have built some muscle memory. Yeah, yeah, we, we, re- we react. The thing about planning, the thing about, the thing about um, envisioning a life and taking action, it's, it's non-reactive. It's, this is what I want out of my life. I'm going to take the steps I need to have happen. I need to make so that I can have what I want to have happen in my life. It's, it's, I am 
what is it, proactive. Mm-hmm. But everything we're trained, all the media response is all reactive. And there's really, sure. at that point, there's really nothing I can do about it. Will it change things? Yes, but I will then manage my next steps. Well, I'm chatting with Jonathan Dio, um, and we are going to squeeze in a very quick break here and get down to business and continue our conversation about mindful money when we come back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship in just a moment. Welcome back to our conversation with Jonathan Dio, the author of the best-selling book, Mindful Money. And uh, Jonathan passionately educates business individuals and parents to manage the anxiety of the unknown and focus on financial factors that they can control. Um, so, Jonathan, where did that uh, where did that name, that brand, Mindful Money, which I know is a part of both your book as well as your amazing team in uh, in Berkeley, where the name come from? Yes. So, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. My um, my undergrad work started in finance. You know, I've I've had an interest in money my whole life, but about my second year of undergrad, I got really bored of finance, and I started studying philosophy and comparative religion. I went on to grad work at the um, Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. That's what brought me to California from the Midwest. Uh, and and my my topic area was going to be comparative religion, and I was I was a I was a um, on my way to become a Lutheran minister, and I went. You know what? At, well, the school said, you know what? We don't have your we don't have the money for your for your scholarship, so you've got to find another source of money so you can go to school here. So I went door to door to this nine theological seminaries, and one of them, the Buddhist one, said, "Sure, we'll meet your well, we'll we'll go ahead and give you that scholarship money." So I ended up studying comparative religion and with it with a tilt towards Buddhist studies. That Buddhist studies is kind of what underlies uh, all of the modern secular mindfulness uh, concept. There's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of other religious stuff that kind of bubbles up into this concept that's mindfulness. But, you know, I was training with monks and with with, you know, real deep, you know, Buddhist practitioners seeking enlightenment, trying to figure out how my mind worked recognizing that, hey, it's really how my mind works that causes me all the pleasure and the pain in the world. How can I use this or how can I think about this? And I was not finished when my first wife said, okay, Jonathan, it's my turn to go to school. You need to find a job. So, you know, I dropped out of a Buddhist studies program and there isn't, there's no really employment for that. So I started, you know, I started interviewing on Wall Street and said, uh, one of them hired me and said, uh, you know, you can fog a mirror, see if you can sell a stock. And so I spent the first five years selling stocks. And then I figured out, you know what, that stuff I was studying, that that pleasure and pain reactivity, that that Tibetan phenomenology, that actually applies. Mm-hmm. We're, we're learning the wrong lessons and, and we're employing the wrong practices. If we have actual targeted outcomes that we're trying to accomplish, there's a better way to do it with so, education and planning. Jonathan, I have to ask, we're set up, and I know you talk about this a lot, um, we're set up for financial anxiety from the time that we are children, uh, listening to our family money stories. As adults, we begin reading newspapers, watching TV, logging to websites, listening to pundits who pretty much add to those financial anxieties. Is that a good thing to be educated and to pay that close attention, or is that actually hurting us? It's, I mean, that, that is a, it's a great question. It's, it's okay to pay attention. The question is, what are you paying attention to? And then I'll, I'll just go to this. In every high school across the land, if there is a discussion of investing, it's not a discussion of investing. It's a discussion of stock picking. 
It's the idea that you're going to, you're going to market time and select the good investment and buy now and sell now and buy now and sell now. And somehow that's going to be a lifelong return source. The reality is outcomes are created by getting a basic understanding of, you know, deferred gratification, compound interest. And when you do these financial literacy tests, the average person fails them miserably. They don't understand what inflation does. They don't understand what compound interest does to combat inflation. They don't understand the very basics. They may go, yeah, yeah, I know the stock Disney. I know the stock Apple. Yeah, I get, that makes sense. But they don't know. They don't know about personal finance. So we're we're saying, hey, it's good to pay attention. It's good to get educated. It's good to have a plan. But you know that's more important than trying to figure out how to how to time the market or select the best investments. We're, we're focused on the wrong things culturally. Absolutely. And uh, I want to pivot into uh, into the analysis of 2021 and sort of looking at uh, how things have uh, have shifted um, into this post COVID world. First of all, how did you handle COVID? Did you embrace it or was it the most challenging year of all times? And and how has that uh, sort of created your plans for 2021? So I don't think I don't think anyone embraced it. Like I, I, th- I think I did very well during it. You know, I have a I have a business that allows all of my eight team members, if they'd like, to work from home. Um, you know, we, we did we did very well. Uh, so I'm not complaining, except you know about the financial aspects of things, about the economic aspects of things. I'm I'm very grateful. I'm very lucky in that in that aspect. I have not enjoyed sitting at home. I have not enjoyed missing my friends. We had. We had one weekend about a month ago. You know, your wife is going to be tuning into this, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. Okay. That's fine. She she feels the same way. Like, okay. you know, I I love my wife. We hang out together. That's great. But I miss hugging my clients and hugging my friends and seeing people and having dinner and laughing and joking. This this I mean, I see your smile and that's great. But it's not. It's different than sitting across the table from somebody. They're smiling and laughing, right? And I miss that a lot. Um, so I've survived. I've done really well, but. Um, I've been lucky. Like I recognize there's still 12 million people out of work and that's, that's devastating. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 2021, um, what's your new year's resolution? <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm really about, I've set my goals a long time ago and I'm just going to keep working on my plan. I'm going to keep, keep doing the plan. I'm at, nothing really changes much. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to drink a little bit less, you know, maybe I'll try to do that. That'll be my new year's resolution. Amen, brother. I appreciate that very, very much. Um, you know, we we all know people that have uh, set those resolutions that are not achievable. And it uh, looks like you have handled 2020 like a champ. So thank you so much for joining us on the air. How can people learn more about Mindful Money and get a hold of your amazing team? Uh, the best way is actually to go to mindful.money. That, that is not mindfulmoney.com. It's actually mindful.money. People don't realize that there's URLs that way. Uh, and that you can find all about our 401k services, our individual services, our digital services, and all of our educational programs. Fantastic. Jonathan Dio, thank you so much for educating us as we kicked off 2021. We're going to squeeze in a quick break and more advice on pivoting into 2021 when we come back in just a moment. We'll be right back. everybody. Welcome back to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We had a fantastic uh, series of conversations today, all about business, jobs, entrepreneurship. And we will be continuing those conversations throughout this entire year of 2021. So make sure you are spreading the word about the show. Um, You can always find the seven plus years of podcasts 
on uh, your favorite podcast app or on my website, shalomkline.com. And while you are there, be sure to uh, share, rate, and review. It makes it easier for people to find um, these conversations. And uh, I do want to mention that uh, I also host another program called We All Serve, um, where I interview uh, retired military leaders. Um, we just had some great conversations with the head of military affairs for Walmart, Amazon, Bank of America, all sorts of conversations talking about leadership and what um, what that is looking like as we transition into 2021. So speaking of a transition into 2021, I've I give a lot of thought to customer service. I am a big, big fan of Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks. And he wrote um, several books where he talks about his customer service philosophy. It happens to be that I am a, a big fan of his coffee too, but we'll leave that for another day and another conversation. So what will customer service look like in the months to come? I've got a couple of predictions that I want to share with our listeners. The stress and uncertainty of 2020 has forced a heavy transformative hand on customer service. Customer service teams were asked to do more with less while customers had more questions than ever. And the same is true in big business and in small business. Strapped for time and resources, customer service had no choice but to adapt and transform at light speed to reevaluate how to get the work done and reimagine what a successful interaction looks like. After all, 90% of customer service organizations report that customer service is more important than ever in these times of crisis. The fact is 2020 has changed customer service as we know it, bringing about long lasting impacts on brands and customers alike. So here's some changes that I think will stick around in 2021 and beyond. And one is digital transformation. Um, I believe that the majority of office workers would prefer to continue to work remotely at least part of the time, even after COVID-19 is just a distant memory. And a whopping 73% of executives are saying that working remotely has been a success. So these shifting attitudes are here to stay and provide many added benefits to organizations. Workers have more flexibility in their schedule and businesses can potentially garner cost savings by downsizing office space and cutting back on inf- in-office perks. While, so while some organizations have implemented temporary fixes to get through this quick shift to digital first, a long-term technology solution needs to be made as well. And that ties into customer service. We need to invest in customer service to really make it about servicing the customers in preparing for speed and efficiency to make sure that even when somebody might be working from home, that we're not just thinking about a a customer as a transaction, but it's really about how are we taking care of their needs. Think about all of the changes that we've seen over the coming over the past few months, the shift from in-store shopping to online. Customer service needs to evolve. And in fact, in my opinion, it's really been long, long overdue to see some of the investments that have been made. And I want to emphasize again, this is something that absolutely would be true in both big business and in small business as well. Everybody needs to rethink their strategy of how they are reaching their customers. And as Howard Schultz would say, customers are not just about the people that pay you money. It's actually the people that you are paying money to as well. Your employees are your customers and your stakeholders as well. So now as we transition into 2021, make sure you are thinking about how you are properly servicing all of your customers 
and all of your stakeholders. That will be a wrap for us today on Get Down to Business. More great conversations next week, 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. Be sure to check out our amazing title sponsors of the show, Chicago Signature Limo for all of your transportation needs, and Health Plan Chicago's our good friend Tom Mirabali, health insurance expert. Uh, check them out. All of their information is on my website at shalomkline.com. Same place where you can download the, the shows. To success, let's get down to business. Thank you.